Is it me? Is it operator error? No, okay. I could talk loud. I got taught like 20 years ago how to talk loud. Are we giving up the mic? I don't know. Yeah, it's red. It sounds like it's on. It's not on. Where's Kyle? It says on. This is con- this is confusing. There's one that says on and one that says off. But it's on the on. Oh. Should I vamp? Oh. Just in time, I was about to vamp a little bit. I'm not going to vamp. I think we need to re-pray, though. Is that a little loud? Is the mic a little loud right now? Wow. Uh, we're going to have to pray over. Restart. Lord Jesus, we love you so much, God. I just thank you for your word. I pray that you would use me to speak to uh, your people through the word, Lord God, that there would be no distractions, that our minds would be clear, and we'd be able, uh, ready to receive what you have for us. In your holy name, amen. 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 So we have been in the book of Acts. We've been in chapter 15, started it last week. We're continuing it this week. Let me get you up to speed here. Uh, In chapter 15, we've seen some of the Jewish Christian believers. They're Christians, but they came from being Jews to being Christians. They're believers. They've gone out to the Gentile churches, teaching them that they have to be circumcised to really be saved. You're not just saved by Jesus, but we have these other things. We want you to follow the law. We want you to be circumcised. Then you'll really be saved, which is kind of stressing out the Gentile believers, as you could imagine. They're distressed. They're confused. Uh, They thought they were told that you just need to... uh, believe in Jesus and repent and you can be saved. And now these other Jewish believers have come from, uh, you know, the people that they thought know everything and say, now you have to do all these other things. So um, they're kind of freaked out. So Paul and Barnabas, hearing this, and as you see throughout a lot of the New Testament, uh, Paul is railing against this idea that you have to be circumcised to be saved, or that there's anything else other than the grace of grace of God that can save you. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, they're they're disputing this, so they take this all the way to uh, the apostles in Jerusalem for a ruling on this to get them to just put their foot down on it. Um, Peter, one of the apostles, of course, um, and the rest of the apostles agree that the Gentile believers have been saved as evident through receiving the Holy Spirit. And Paul and Barnabas have confirmed this too. So we see already that uh, the Gentile believers have received the Holy Spirit. And so how can you turn around and then say, well, there's some extra step you need to be saved if you've already received the Holy Spirit. And so the apostles are like, no, we don't need any other steps. There are no more levels. They have the Holy Spirit. Let's pass that word back to them. So God, having saved them by grace through faith, the apostles saw no reason to add uh, to the Gentiles' burden and only required them to, Acts chapter 15, verse 20, but that we write them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. And like Pastor Crystal talked about last week, these are uh, part and parcel of uh, um, pagan religious idol worship type things that are talking about here. They're talking about items of the Gentile 
culture that they don't want the Gentiles bringing into their life of Christ. Sexual immorality, worshiping idols, all that, all that, that kind of stuff. That is like the core of that's not what you're doing. This is what you're doing now. So apart from that, just be saved by grace. Jesus Christ is your Savior. Let's not put a whole bunch of yokes on their necks and burdens on them. Um, so let's look through the verses we got today are chapter 15, 22 through 35. It says this. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch, to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to all the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives uh, for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ." We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seems good, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these things, you will do well. Farewell. That's the letter. <laughs> Pretty straight to the point. It's almost like, it's more like a tweet or a text. Like it's like 140 characters and they're like, they're out. Verse 30. So when they sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the, mul- the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they, the Gentile believers, had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves, uh, being prophets also, exhorted the brethren with many words that strengthened them. And after they had stayed there for a time, uh, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord uh, with many others also. One thing that made me think of this here is, is who is your truth source? I used to have a boss. Don't have a bo- that boss anymore. It's about ten years ago. Ten years ago, I used to have a boss. So, like, I don't know about the work environment you you work in, but the work environment that I work in, uh, rumors can spread pretty fast. It's like a knitting circle. One person hears it, and it just goes all around uh, the whole area. And so you're hearing rumors, and if your place of work is anything like my place of work, people start getting freaked out because of this new information. Did you hear what they said they're going to do? Oh, I can't believe it. Can you believe it? It's awful. And so this boss that I had would say, anytime this kind of thing would happen where rumors would start to spread and there's misinformation and one person says one thing, another person says the other thing, he'd say, you go, go find your true source. Go find that one person that you trust and believe is going to tell you the straight story no matter what. Of course, this boss wasn't that guy, <laughs> which kind of ruined his complete credibility. But what he said was true. <laughs> when this kind of stuff happens, you need to find your true source. 
It says in verse 24, it says, Since we have heard, some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying that you must be circumcised. These Jewish believers, at a minimum, misled these Gentiles into thinking that they spoke a message with the authority of the elders and the apostles, which they did not. But every good lie has a measure of truth. That's why you want to believe it. Some of it's true, so you want to believe it. And that's what we see here. These Jewish, the Jewish believers, hey, we're bringing you the word from the apostles. Um, I remember also about 10 years ago, I used to, used to listen to a lot of uh, political talk radio. And, you know, because you got to know what's going on in the world, right? I listen to a little, little uh, Hannity, a little Rush Limbaugh. I remember one day I hopped on there uh, in the car and I turned on the radio and I hear this story and I'm just, I can't believe it. It's absurd. What's America up to? And I'm just uh, upset about it. You know, these facts are just blowing me away that we would allow this as a country. And then I realized I was on NPR. (laughs) So I rolled it over to Rush and guess what Rush was saying? He was talking about the exact same story with a completely different set of facts attached to it with a completely different outcome and conclusion based on those facts. I'm so disillusioned. How can two separate entities be talking about the same exact circumstances and and goings-on, determining different facts and different conclusions based on that? How am I supposed to know who I'm supposed to believe? They're both credible. They're both on the radio. They both have large audiences. They both have billboards. How do I know who I'm supposed to believe? I'm not there I mean, think about it. Think about it in your own life. Not just on the radio, but maybe it's your, your, uh, your social media feed. Uh, I heard the other day that 20 of these pseudo news sites that pump out articles are owned by the same guy. And he was asked, like, I don't understand. How could you have these news sites blasting Obama and another one's praising Obama? Because this was a few years ago. And he's like, what, who cares? What does it matter what I'm putting out there? The matter is you're clicking on it. (laughs) You're not there. You don't know what's happening in the White House. You're listening to somebody else tell you about it. You're trusting that whoever's telling you is telling you the truth. That's why I'm so apathetic about government. I'll just be straight honest with you. That ain't even in my notes, but that's why I'm apathetic about government. I don't even know who to trust anymore. I can't trust what they're telling me. And like these Jewish believers who claim to be coming from the apostles, they're saying you need to do more to be saved. And these Gentile believers are back here like wringing their, their hands and scratching their heads like, what am I supposed to do with this stuff? They're just sucked in. If, if you don't listen to what's being said, you're going to uh, be afraid and bad things are going to happen to you. If you don't click on this news story and do what it says, horrible things are going to happen to you. Ah! What are we going to do? The Gentiles seemingly have their salvation on the line. It's not, it's not as easy, the, the situation isn't as easy as just getting off of Facebook for a day or two. They think that their salvation's at stake here. 
That's distressing. <laughs> they just got saved, and now you're telling them there's more to it? That's distressing, isn't it? Where, where are they going to find the truth? How are they going to know? Um, part of the, why this was so challenging, I think, is because there is some truth to what the, the Jews were saying. Circumcision was a symbol given through Moses for God's chosen people. So if the Gentiles are now grafted into God's people, they should have the symbol too, right? It almost has enough truth to make sense. (laughs) But it's wrong. Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 through 15. See with what large letters I have written this to you with my own hands, Paul says. I think he's serious in this one. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Basically saying, if they could convince you that that, uh, circumcision and following Moses' law is going to make you righteous before God, then the Jews don't have to feel guilty about crucifying Christ. Aha! It's pretty nefarious. For not even those who are uh, circumcised keep the law, but they deserve to have. But they desire to have you circumcised, so that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but the new creation. The Jews tried to elevate their own customs and beliefs above the cross of Christ to make themselves more holy, more important, and more valuable. I'm not 100% sure they knew that's exactly what they were doing, but that's what they were doing. They were trying to make their traditions and themselves more important based on what they had. Uh, it, It hasn't come up in many, many years, probably the warehouse days, but this totally reminds me of a Dr. Seuss book that I love called The Star Bellied Sneetches. Anyone familiar? Anyone with kids? No? Okay. So basically, a sneech is like this giant bird looking thing. It's kind of weird and creepy. But some of them on the beach have stars on their bellies. And some of them do not have stars on their bellies. The ones that have stars think they're the best. They think they're the best sneeches on the beaches. And so basically the story is that these ones with the stars think that they're the best and they keep pushing away the ones that don't have stars. They're nobodies. They, they won't invite them to their Frankfurter roasts or anything. <laughs> but then this guy shows up and he's got a machine that will add stars to their bellies. So they all pay their money and they go on through. Now everyone's got a star and the ones who had stars at the first don't like this in the least... So guess what? The same guy has a machine that takes stars off of your belly. So they go through that machine. Now it's super cool to not have a star. Do you see what's going on here? They just need to be special and different. And the Jews, being God's chosen people originally, are sitting here like, listen, we're the ones with the mark from God. You're not. We're special. You're not. So you can go ahead and walk around with your free grace, talking about how Jesus died for you too. But you're not circumcised and you don't keep the law. It sounds pretty ugly when you say it like that. Legalism ruled their lives. 
This is what's interesting about people who have a legalistic viewpoint is they just want to get you on their side. Because if they can get you on their side, it further justifies their position. The more people who agree with them, the more right they are. Uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 10 through 11. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Who do you think he's talking about? Whose mouth must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things that they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. I think it's a little more than a, a, a subversive attempt to change people's thoughts. It sounds like there's selfish gain at stake for them if they can trick trick the, the Gentile believers into changing what they know to be true. If your good behavior and self-control was enough to save you, then Jesus would have died for nothing. Amazing grace, right? That song. How amazing would that grace be if you could just earn it on your own? It wouldn't be very amazing anymore, would it? It's only amazing because it covers all sin. Otherwise, it wouldn't be amazing. The apostles sent their most trusted men so that the Gentile believers can trust the source. Verse 22, 25, and 27 says this. It pleased the apostles the elder, uh, the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They already trust Paul and Barnabas. Now they're bringing Judas, who's also called Barsabbas, and Silas because they're leading men among the brethren. It seems good to us being assembled with, uh, with one accord or in one purpose of mind to send chosen men to you uh, with our beloved Paul and Barnabas, men who have risked their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who will also report the same things by word of mouth. They're bringing a true source. They want you to understand that what we're telling you now is the truth, not what those guys came to tell you before. You know it's the truth because you already trust Paul and Barnabas, and you already trust uh, Judas and Silas. They're men of, of good character. That's why they're sending them. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7 says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow. Consider the outcome of their conduct. You can tell a tree by its fruit, can't you? Yeah. You can tell a tree by its fruit. The truth is not self-seeking. It's interesting when anybody wants to tell you a truth about something that it seems to really just benefit them. It's probably not true. Or not all true. And if it's not all true, it's, it's really not true. We see that uh, Peter, uh, the, the apostle that speaks up and, and uh, basically declares this proclamation, uh, he was the one, like Pastor Crystal said last week, he was the one on the side of the religious Jews before. Right. He was the one who wanted to keep all the laws and everything like that until the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he was wrong about that. Now you see him being the chief speaker saying, nope, all that stuff that the Jews were saying is not true. You don't need all that stuff. Him saying it himself is a testimony to the Holy Spirit's ability to change somebody. He says in Acts chapter 15 verse 11, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. He's saying that the Jews will be saved in the same manner as we now see the Gentiles being saved. He's saying everybody's getting saved the same way, in the same manner, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Not by observing the laws. 
For Peter and all the believers, the Holy Spirit is actually the ultimate truth source. It says in uh, verse 28, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than the things uh, than these necessary things. The decision didn't come from the opinion of the leadership, but from the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's the truth source. Amen. And you can find what the Holy Spirit has to say because it's in the Word. The Holy Spirit, His Word, His guidance will always match up with the Word of God. So when the radio is saying whatever it says and your news feed saying whatever it says and somebody just posted an article about the latest thing, that's the latest revelation that comes from God, you can say, okay, but let me see if I can find that in my Bible. And then you know it's true. It's your true source. That's what's so important about reading your Bible because this is where the entire church is going astray as a whole, is they're not reading the Word of God. And the, and the pastors aren't preaching the Word of God. So when the falsehood comes, they don't recognize it. And they're out there wringing their hands saying, I didn't even recognize. It's amazing. I have something else to do. In 2,000 years, no one figured this thing out. But you and your book just saved the world. Thank you for writing that book. Say that, Jay. So we have to be careful of that. We have to be careful of that. There's a danger in legalism. So I want to talk a little bit about legalism because that's basically the approach the Jews are taking. These Jewish believers, they're believers in, in Jesus, but they came from the Jews. And so they have all these legalistic beliefs. Now, a lot of times when we think of legalism, we think of like kind of like the Ned Flanders type, you know, and you don't swear, and you don't watch R-rated movies. And uh, Pastor Crystal actually talked about last week about the church she got saved in. How it's like, oh, you have to wear long skirts and your knees can't show and stuff like that. You, know, you can't cut your hair. That's the kind of thing we typically think about in legalism. But that's really kind of an obvious form of it because legalism can be real subtle in its approach. C.J. Mahaney put it like this. Legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience to God. Say that again. Legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience to God. Thomas Schreiner writes this. Legalism has its origins in self-worship. If people are justified through their obedience to the law, then they merit praise, honor, and glory. Legalism, in other other words, means that the glory goes to people rather than to God. So if you can earn God's favor and your salvation by your obedience to God, then why did Christ have to die? If that was possible, the Jews would already be there. And I don't know, maybe God would have already taken them all up by now if that was possible. If they could have observed the law and done everything right. It wasn't possible. That's a lesson to you and me. If we read our our Bibles, we can see you can try to follow all the rules you want and be an obedient as you want. It's not going to save you. That's that's one of the huge lessons that the Jews taught us. (laughs) It's just not going to work. That's why we need Jesus. Otherwise, we might walk around thinking that somehow we could achieve that. But you can't. Now, no Christian would ever openly say that the cross wasn't enough. But living a legalistic life subtly shifts the focus away from the cross and over to what we can accomplish by our own strength. That's the sneaky kind of legalism. Now, there's at least two ways that I was thinking that legalism can hurt new believers in the church. Maybe you can think of more, but these two stood out to me. 
Um, when we tell newbies or the new believers uh, or, or even imply to them that if they aren't doing extra things, they must really not be saved. That's legalism. Well, if you're not doing all these activities, you must not be saved. You didn't come to the Easter outreach. You better question your own salvation. If you're not in a Bible study, if you're not doing all these things like that, serving, tithing, fellowshipping, these things are excellent things to do. You should be doing them. But don't confuse what you should do if you are saved with what's going to get you saved. See what I'm saying? That's the difference between legalism. You do these things because you're saved, not because they're going to save you. And I've talked to people. Tithing's a really sticky one for people because we are so in love with our money in this country. Somebody tells you they want to give money and you're like, nope. You'll go buy that coffee, though. You'll go, you know, get uh, tattoos, but you want... <laughs> Church wants my money. I don't know, man. But I've, I've seen that be a huge sticking point for people, too, is, is that idea. Uh, and it's just... Well-meaning, zealous Christians can inadvertently put this greater burden on young believers who could end up fearful of losing their salvation if they can't keep the pace. Not on purpose, but we're walking around here with this like, look at me. I've been here four times this week, you know. Let me post on Facebook another holy deed that I'm doing. Inadvertently, we could be communicating the message that if you're not doing all these great things, you're probably not saved. That's kind of legalistic. Here's another thing. As we can set a poor example by acting like we are more saved because of the work we do for God. You're saved. You're just not as saved as I am because I preach on Wednesday night. It sounds really bad when you say it like that, doesn't it? But you got to think of the subtle examples of where you see this thing uh, come up. As our gifts and talents shine, we let others raise us up and make us more important, which implies we have more value to God. So if, if our gifts and abilities, uh, we allow people to, to uh, communicate that we are more valuable uh, to God because of our gifts and abilities, we are also saying to the someone who's struggling, to the someone who's not as gifted, they end up feeling inferior and discouraged and feeling less valued by God. Like they can't measure up. Well, if I can't be like those people, then what's the point in even trying? Maybe I'll never be saved if I can't do all those great things. I was thinking as an example, um, I've been really getting into Spartan races uh, now. As some people have, have uh, been exposed to over the past few weeks. But So I wanted to tell you about the first time I did a Spartan race. So years and years ago, um, many years ago, uh, when this whole mud run thing started, I did not want to do a Spartan race because they take it way too seriously. Like, they're all mean, and they take it too seriously, and they're all, this is a race, and I've got to win. I'm like, I don't need that madness. I'm out here for fun. Let's help each other out. So I did the Tough mutter, you know, because <laughs> they're all about having some fun, getting dirty, you know, uh, testing yourself. And so, um, but then finally I realized that uh, I wanted to do a Spartan race. So a few years, a few years ago, I did my first Spartan race. 
And I went out there and I was getting so frustrated with these slow people running on the trail. And in my mind, I'm like, you do not belong out here. (laughs) They're all taking it serious. I'm taking it serious too. I got to win this thing. If you would just move out of the way. Look at those shoes you brought. They are no good for the mud. Get out of here. I was so frustrated. People didn't belong on the course. And then as I'm running up this hill, I look up and my first thought is like, dude, just leave. And I get closer and I see the, the shirt on the back of this, uh, the uh, words on the back of this gal's shirt is, I lost 100 pounds. And then something else, which I don't remember because I was so like, oh my gosh. She is out here right now. She's out here doing this thing. And I'm back here talking about, you don't deserve to be here. You're so slow. I had become what I detested. I was now the one ruining somebody else's race day. They just wanted to go home with a muddy t-shirt and say, I did this. And I'm over here like, your hard work isn't good enough. You may finish the race, but you didn't go fast enough. Ah, awful. I'm the jerk. Concerned with my own self and my own race. Ruining people's day. I'm sure I ruined somebody's day. I'm sure there's at least one person who will no longer do Spartan races because some angry dude on the trail behind them was taking it way too seriously. Dang it. It's, a, it's actually a really fun thing. It's super like tribe, like everyone's excited. They're like encouraging, like they want to help you through. And then at the end, everybody's excited. Hey, we all did it together. But that's not how I was doing it. That's how I do it now, right? Right, guys? It's okay, right, guys? We're okay now. All right. No matter what you do or how you perform, you can't earn favor from God. You can't earn his favor. You can't. So stop trying to earn his favor. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Obviously the law applies to those who to obviously the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show them that uh, to show the entire world. Uh, is guilty before God. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. That's a whole different way of looking at it, isn't it? The law isn't your standard. The law just shows you that you're guilty and you need a savior. Gain a right understanding of what the gospel is and that can free you from having these thoughts and feelings like you have to earn it. Struggling so hard, stressing out, worrying about trying to earn God's favor when you can't do it. You can't do it. Stop trying to earn his favor. There's a song that, uh, here's the other problem, okay? So you got legalism on the one side that says you have to do all these extra things to earn God's favor. But then on the other side, you have free grace. That says basically, it doesn't even matter what you do. His blood covers all. You can't go wrong. 
You can't. There's no sin that his blood can't cover. I know, but you're still not supposed to be out there sinning. There was a song... I actually haven't heard it for a little while. Maybe they, maybe they play it, maybe they don't. But there was a song by uh, Mercy Me a while back called Grace Got You. Now the purpose of this song, as I read on the internet today, is that the idea was is that, that you should uh, kind of like relax and stop worrying so much. Because the grace of God is so big that it can cover you. That you can't fall outside of his grace. You know? It just, that's, that's kind of the point, right? But here, herein lies the problem. In the chorus now, a verse that gets repeated over and over, it says this. Smile like you just got away with something. Why? Because you just got away with something. I know it's a song. Who cares, right? But it displays a fundamental misunderstanding of God's grace. And a new believer is going to hear that song without reading their Bible and adopt that as the way they see it because they think it's a true source. Mercy Me is a Christian artist, right? They're playing on a Christian uh, radio station. And they hear a song that basically says, the example of grace in your life is you got away with it. And they're going to adopt that idea. That's the, that is the trend that we've seen in some of the modern church that falls way over here on the side of, of free grace is that they believe that what they do doesn't matter. First things first, though. Grace isn't free. Jesus paid a heavy price for that grace that you, that you enjoy. That gift of grace that you've received, it may be free to you, but Christ paid the, paid the price for it with his blood. So don't look at that free grace that you receive unto salvation as somehow it's a light thing, as somehow it's not meaningful. Because Christ died for that grace. He's got the skin in the game. You may not have any skin in the game, but he does. No one got away with anything. Jesus paid the debt. Imagine as if you got arrested by the police and hauled into court facing a life sentence. And Jesus comes into the courtroom and says, no, no, no. Haul me away, officers. Take the cuffs off of him. Put them on me. And they hauled Jesus away. Would you be standing in the courtroom thinking you got away with it? No. You got reprieved. That's a gift. He took the punishment. Now you're standing there in the courtroom. Everybody's already left, and you're just stunned standing there in the courtroom like, I don't even know what to do with myself now. You're not like, woohoo, somebody else took my punishment. So don't look at it as if this grace costs nothing because Jesus paid the price. The danger of not truly understanding the grace of God is that you might begin to believe that sin is insignificant and that your behavior doesn't really matter. And both are untrue. When you cheapen grace, you allow sin sin to enter the church and mix with biblical standard. When you cheapen grace and basically just call it this wild free thing that just covers all. So just relax. You have no responsibility in the matter because God's grace will cover it all. You've cheapened it. You've it. You've made it free and useless. So now sin is no longer something you have to worry about. Because who cares? So what if sin enters in? I got grace. You've cheapened it and allowed it to enter the church. Uh, I've been listening to this book uh, called Extreme Ownership. All my leaders, you probably have either heard it or been told to read it. I don't know yet. Uh, It's a little heavy on the, the military examples. But one thing that Jocko Willick said was, It is not what you preach, it's what you tolerate. 
I thought, wow, it's not what you preach, it's what you tolerate. So as a boss, you could be standing up there telling your people what to do. But if you're tolerating the bad behavior, that's what you're really telling them. You have to expect more. You have to expect a higher standard out of people. There was a church a while back, and I don't want to bash them too hard. I know we brought it up before. But there was a church a while back that um, when the Seahawks were doing really well, it was probably 2015, I guess, right, when the Seahawks were making a run for it. Um, uh, the Seahawks game was kind of during church. We all know we were all sitting in church. So this church decided they would uh, uh, move service and have a tailgate party in the church and watch the Seahawks game. They had beer and stuff, just hanging out in the church, like just having a party. So it's like, wow, okay, I don't want to be super legalistic guy and say, well, you can't drink, but like, I mean, let's, let's get real, people. I think we have uh, gone a little bit too far in our free expression of our grace when we're sitting in church and instead of hearing a word from the Lord and worshiping him, we're drinking beer and watching a sports team play football. I mean, wouldn't they have just been better off if they just would have canceled Sunday altogether? And just be like, listen, no one's going to show up anyway. You, you guys don't care enough about Jesus to show up. So go watch your game. And whenever they fail out of the playoffs, we'll just start having church again. But as long as the playoffs are happening, just enjoy it. You know, we know your priorities. They would have been better off doing that, right? They also allowed sexual immorality to be part of their church, reflected in the culture around them and inside, and, and they're pretty much not even a church anymore. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Listen, Jesus died to pay the price for all sin, no matter how big. But because you are saved, you should be fleeing from sin and, and pursuing holiness. Don't take his grace for a ride. That's just wrong. And don't try to add anything more to the gospel either. We, we're seeing here in this story, really, we're seeing two sides of it. We're seeing uh, in the church of Jerusalem, we're seeing um, both, both the Jewish believers are try- and, and the Gentiles are in danger of bringing their own cultural beliefs into their new relationship with Christ. So you have the Jewish believers that are trying to bring the law and their traditions into the church, which we see. But we also see the Gentile believers being strongly warned not to bring their pagan practices with them into the church. And so I think one thing we have to remember, too, when we're dealing with the gospel of Jesus Christ is we can't take our cultural orientation or our our, um, patriotic whatever and blend that in to the cross of Christ. It's not a hyphenated Christianity, right? That's something we have to be careful of, too. Now... The real, the real crux of this whole thing is the Gentile believers were encouraged to know that their salvation was secure. In verse 31, it says, when they had read it, the letter, they rejoiced over its encouragement. The letter was pretty brief. It pretty much just said two things. One, hey, this is from all your trusted leaders. We heard you were grieved. Don't be grieved. Just do these, these things. Just reject your old religious stuff. That's all it basically said. And they're encouraged that they're not going to lose their salvation because they aren't fulfilling the Jewish customs. Understanding that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone should be an encouragement to all believers. Your salvation is secure in Jesus. 
If you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and you repent of your wicked, sinful ways, and you turn towards him and pursue him, your salvation is secured. You're not going to lose it. Okay? So, take a breath. It shouldn't change how you live your life. You should continue to pursue holiness. You can continue to do the best you can and read your Bibles. I'm not saying stop doing that stuff. I'm just saying... Relax. No one's going to roll up in here one day with some kind of new gospel and steal your salvation away. It's not going to happen. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 26. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God set forth as a propitiation or sacrifice by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be justified just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. That means that Christ is your justifier. You're justified through Jesus. It's important to understand the difference between being justified and being sanctified. Justified. Pastor Matt says it like this. Just as if I'd never sinned. You were justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. That's easy to remember, huh? I don't know when the last time you said that is, but I always remember it. Warehouse days, easy. Could even be sideways church. Anyways. This is the finished work on the cross. God totally and completely forgave you when you believed and repented by the blood of Jesus Christ. William Plummer writes, Justification is an act. It is not a work or a series of acts. It is not progressive. The weakest believer and the strongest saint are alike equally justified. Justification admits no degrees. A man is either wholly justified or wholly condemned in the sight of God. When you got saved, you were justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. He makes you righteous. Not you righteous. He makes you righteous. Boom. Now you're righteous. One time act justified. You will never be more justified than the moment you first believed in the gospel. Now, sanctification is totally different. And this is where most of us have to pay attention. (laughs) Sanctification is the ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of his word, and the fellowship with other believers, our minds are renewed. Sanctification is hard work. We fight temptation. We flee from sin. We strive for discipline in our choices and behaviors. We're on our grind every day. No days off. We study scripture. We pray daily. We press on to the goal even when we don't feel like it. This process doesn't end until you go to heaven. It will be your life's work. Congratulations. You're going to work super hard on something that you will not complete until Jesus comes back or you die. Stay on your grind, people. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves to God, you have your fruit of holiness or unto sanctification at the end, everlasting life. You will be more sanctified as you continue to pursue grace-motivated obedience. Not fear-motivated obedience, but because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ, you are motivated to be more obedient to God and Christ. Not because you're afraid of punishment. Not because you're afraid God's going to come down one day and pull your salvation card. 
but because you are motivated by being obedient in his grace. So new believers tonight, take comfort and find encouragement that your grace through faith has been, uh, through grace, by grace through faith you've been saved, and by grace through faith you will remain in God's presence. Acts chapter 15, verse 8 through 11. The apostle Peter said this, So God, who knows the heart, acknowledges them, the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. You got to let go of your let go of your old uh, life and commit to a new life in Christ. You got to stop trying to blend the cultural influences together. You got to stop trying to uh, be a Christian of something of this world and just look to what Christ is calling you to be. It's super duper simple in the Bible. Stop trying to make it complicated. Understand today that you are saved and no one can take that away from you. Because you're saved, you should be pursuing holiness. Not on your own strength, which is not going to happen, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's why the non-believer can't pursue holiness, because they don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. How can you pursue holiness without the Holy Spirit? See, it's simple. This process will take a lifetime. It will take your forever But don't get discouraged. I want you to be encouraged. Just like the Gentiles were believers were encouraged by the the reinforcing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want you to be encouraged that your salvation is secure. Just keep going. You're going to fail, but you're not going to stop there. You're going to keep going. You're going to continue to work hard, and you're going to pursue holiness. How? Through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We're here for you. Everyone in the room is here for you today. Everyone. Let's pray. Lord God, you are it. You are the one. Lord Jesus, we just want to pursue you. Lord God, I thank you for already giving us the power as believers inside of us that we can pursue your holiness. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the revelation that that should be our life's work and we should never give up on that. But Lord God, I thank you so much for your grace, Lord Jesus, because I need it. Lord God, we just love you so much. Amen. Hey, if you're in this room right now and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is a perfect opportunity to fall under that grace that God provides, to fall, to, to get that gift that Jesus died for. So if you're in this room tonight and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ for the first time, this is the first time for you, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to stand up and I want you to walk up front and have somebody pray with you to receive the Lord. No better time, no better place. This is the place to do it. A community of believers who knows what it means to be saved by grace. This is your moment. Okay. And the rest of us, I pray that we would uh, remember what we learned. Hopefully, it's just a refreshing and encouragement of what you already knew. And if it isn't, then start reading your Bible. Lord Jesus, again, thank you so much. I want to close the service, Lord, by just thanking you, giving you all the glory and the praise and all the thanks. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Get your-